you have your Bibles, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. I, I labored uh, for this word this week. I, I, I didn't feel like the Lord released me until today uh, with what I was going to teach. And so I, I'm going to ask, though, before we open the word for Karen Vogel, if you could come up here, darling. And I got a little something, something I want you to do for me. Um, we are continuing our sermon series on the secrets to living the victorious Christian life. And uh, we've been looking at the things in our life that keep us from walking in victory. Uh, things that interfere with us running the race well. And we're going to continue that series tonight, but I want to start with this little game. Uh, I actually played it at a baby shower recently. And, um, and, and so, Karen, I don't know if you ever played this game before. Oh, good. So you have in front of you five diapers. I bought newborn, so because I'm having a newborn grand, granddaughter in a couple weeks, and I'm so excited about it. Um, but each one of them has a different candy bar melted into it, which really looks like what, Karen? Poop. Yeah, it does. Pretty, really good. Different candy bar in each one of them. <laughs> Come on. It's fun. You know it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to have Karen inspect and smell and analyze each diaper. And then I want to see if you can identify the brand of candy bar that's in it. Um, you can do it. So you want to start with this one? I suppose you could taste it. I didn't do it. <laughs> so what would that be? Mounds. Perfect. Got that one. One point. You might want to squeeze it a little bit. Milky Way. Two of two. I probably did. She's way too healthy. Yep, you got it. Bingo. Three of three. <laughs> York peppermint patty, bingo. So that one is bingo. You got it. Is she a good sport or what? <laughs> we love you, Karen. So sounds you're like, why in the world did you do that? Because I want you to know that Karen had no trouble identifying the poop in that diaper. <laughs> they were soiled diapers, and it wasn't difficult for her because it was pretty clear as she looked at it up close and personal, as she inspected it, the smell coming from it made it pretty obvious. The aroma that was emitted from the diaper uh, was undeniable, and it could be easily identified. What was in that soiled diaper could be easily identified. And we had some fun with it tonight, but I just want to tell you that in Ephesians chapter 4, we read a list of the things that Paul says stink up our lives. Things that like this diaper illustration uh, soil our lives. Things that he said, get rid of those, put those off, change your diaper, and, and put a clean one on. Because this is going to stink up your life. And just like Karen had no trouble identifying what was in that diaper, uh, the people around you, the people you're closest with, your, the people you're working with, the people at church, have no trouble identifying what's soiling your life. I was struck. We had friends over this week for dinner, and they had a little toddler, and she was running around the house playing as we were sitting at the table talking, and we were in deep discussion, and she was just having a great time. I pulled all my grandchildren's toys out, and, and she was having a great time, and pretty soon we started smelling something at the table. And what struck me, because I was, I was thinking about this passage, what struck me is that she was quite content to run around in that diaper. She did not care what was in the diaper. She didn't care what she smelled like. She didn't care how messed she was. She, all she knew is she was playing and having a good time. And she had no concern. She was oblivious to what was in her diaper. But her mom and dad knew. We, we knew. 
uh, and I'm telling you that sometimes we can have soiled diapers, we can have soiled lives, and be oblivious. And everybody else around us can know so clearly what it is that's messing up our lives. And so Paul was giving us a list in this passage of the things that we need to look for, things that will stink up our lives, things that will, uh, will soil our lives, if you will. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to read verses um, 25 through 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So you need to know that Paul has spent the previous uh, three chapters uh, of, of, Ephesus, of Ephesians uh, teaching doctrine. And so without going back and going over all of that doctrine, uh, he just... Trust me that he did that. And now in verse 4, uh, in this chapter, in the fourth chapter, he begins to talk about how that doctrine should affect our conduct. He starts by reminding them in this passage who they are and who they were before God saved them. He, he says they were blinded in their hearts. They were darkened in their understanding. They were futile in their thinking. He reminds them that they were separated from God's life. They were insensitive to holiness so that they indulged in every form of sensual vice. And then he reminds them in verse 21 that they did not learn Christ that way. That if they had heard of him and they were taught by him and they were, they were called to put off that old man, the one who was darkened in his understanding, the one who was separated from life, the, the one who was futile in his thinking, and put that old man off. And put on a, a, a new man. He said the old man is growing corrupt according to deceitful lust. Who knows uh, that our lust will deceive us. And they're part of the old man. They're not what we're supposed to put on. And he says the new man, will, it'll be renewed in the spirit of their minds as they put on that new man. Because you were created to be like God in, in righteousness and holiness. So he's saying, put off that man that, that, that's being deceived by lustful desires and fleshly desires and, and don't give in to that and, and put on this new man. It's a picture of putting off uh, clothing, taking off soiled clothing, if you will, soiled diapers, if you will, and putting on new ones. The idea is that Christians are to put off conduct that's associated with their old life apart from Christ, to not indulge in it anymore. We're to put off old patterns of behavior that soil our Christian life and stink it up. And Paul is really saying it's time to change that soiled diaper. You've been walking around oblivious to it long enough. It's time to change it. It's really a term that refers to taking off and putting on a new set of clothing, taking off soiled clothing and putting on a new set. And so then in verse 25, he tells them, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are one member, we're, we're all members of one body. And so he's saying, put off that old man and put on the new man. That's not how you learned Christ. That's not what Christ wants you to be like. He doesn't want that old man to have a place in your life anymore. I taught you differently than that. Let's put off that old man. Let's take off that stinky diaper and put on the new man. 
That word put off there, some of your translations will say laying aside. It's a marker of dis disassociation. It, it implies a rupture from a former association, a separation, a, a departure. A, a, it, it means to separate one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two is destroyed. Destroy all fellowship with that old man with those old patterns of behavior, the way you acted like before you came to Christ, before you sold out to Christ. Separate yourself from that man. Disassociate with him. The word was used of runners who participated in the Olympic Games who cast off their clothing and they would run nearly naked in the stadium. It means to, to throw off dirty or foul-smelling clothing or diapers, if you will. It's in the aorist tense which calls for a once and for all concluding action. The, the stripping off, he wants it to be done for good. I, I, he's saying, I don't want you to go back and visit those patterns anymore. I don't want you to go back and, and live like you used to live before Christ. I want you to put that stuff off and disassociate with it. That aorist tense is used with reference to the priority of the act. It is a priority, it should be a priority, that you do this in your life, that you put off those things. As new creations in Christ, the priority should be, he's saying first, putting off lying. Notice it's the first one. Put off lying and any form of dishonesty. Colossians 3, 8, and 9 says, But now you also must put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That tells me that lying is part of the old man. And so if you're here tonight and you're indulging in lying and it's becoming a practice in your life, it's your old man, I'm just going to tell you. And you need to disassociate with that behavior. You, you need to separate yourself from having any fellowship with lying. Notice he says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And so he's saying lying is an evil practice. Lying is the first foul, smelly diaper that we're called to remove from our life. It has no part in the new man. As new creations in Christ Jesus, we are to speak truthfully to one another. Now, we all know that there are outright deliberate lies that we speak. But Boyce says something interesting to me. He says, a statement deliberately intended to mislead another person is a lie, particularly when the misleading is for our own advantage. I'm going to read that again because I, you would have been amening if you really got that. He says, a statement deliberately intended to mislead another person is a lie, particularly when the misleading is for our own advantage. Have you ever been with someone that, that you ask them a question looking for truth? And they answer you, but you know it's not the truth. But you realize that you need to form your question in a certain way, asking it a certain way so that they answer you truthfully. Are, everybody understand that? So, so you want truth, you're expecting truth, and they're not lying. How many of you know they're not lying? They're just deliberately misleading you with a statement so they don't have to lie and they don't have to tell the truth. That's what Boyce is talking about. He said, that's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus, is in, he has something interesting to say about lying. He says, when you lie, you're like your father, the devil. Because lies are his native language. He does not speak the truth. The truth is not in him. And I'm just going to tell you that when we lie, it's Jesus' words, not mine. And he says, you're like your father the devil because lies are his native language. Lies are a part of the old man and we're called to put it aside. Someone once said the ability to lie is a liability. I like that. The ability to lie is a liability. Precept Austin, one of my favorite uh, commentary, uh, online commentary says, Biblically, since God is truth unchanged and unchanging, a lie is the very antithesis of who he is. 
and who we are to be now in Christ. The old adage said, like father, like son. When we speak truth, we are like our father. When we speak falsehoods, we're more like our old father, Satan. Scripture says that God hates a lying tongue. You say, well, where is that, Rhea? Turn over to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. It says that there are six things the Lord hates. How many of you know that the Lord hates some things in our life? Seven that he detests, or one translation says that, or that's an abomination to him. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven he detests or, or are an abomination to him. Listen to what they are. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. And this is the one that's an abomination to God. This is the one that he detests. One who sows discord among brothers. If you are in a church or you're anywhere and you're sowing discord in that, in that congregation, I'm telling you, seven things the Lord detests. He detests it. A brother who sows discord among the brethren. That's God's word. And we have got to come to a place where we begin to take God's word seriously. He hates a lying tongue. And he detests a brother who sows discord among the brethren. So a lying tongue, some of your commentaries will say falsehood, put off falsehood. And, and I like that because there's a tendency in each one of us to embellish truth to impress others. Whether it's a job resume or a conversation you're having with someone, exaggeration can sometimes come naturally. And I'm telling you, exaggeration is a lie. Small lies usually grow larger as we, we try to avoid discovery or, or we can't remember what we said and, and so we have to just keep covering it. We get ourselves into a, a predicament. It's a lie. So many of us want to give an impression that we're super spiritual or super sweet or over-the-top loving, and yet it's falsehood because behind closed doors to our closest family member, when nobody's looking, we're completely different. We need to put off that kind of falsehood. As I was writing this message, the Lord said to me, flattery, Rhea, flattery is really a lie. If it's not done with sincerity and you're just doing it to build somebody up, I don't care if, it's, if you're trying to build them up. If you don't mean what you say, flattery is a lie. It's not genuine. So Paul says we need to put those things away and speak truth to our neighbors. And, and he says because we're all members, look at this. I want you to look at your scripture if you have it, for we are all members of one another. That's interesting verbiage. We're all members of one another. Some translations say of one body, but I really like we are all members of one another. That means if I lie to you, it hurts you, but I'm still hurting myself because we are all members of one another, scripture says. So what I do to you, I'm really doing to myself. And then in verse 6, 26, he says, um, be angry and do not sin. So that's the second soiled diaper that we need to put off. Put off anger um, and do not sin. You can, you can be angry, notice he says. Anger is not a sin. Some of you need to hear me say that. Because some of you stuff that anger down inside of you because you think it's sinful. Angry, to be angry is not a sin. It's in your anger, do not sin. Notice that anger is, is, is sandwiched here between lying and speech. And I don't think that's a, that's a coincidence because I think in anger, if we're not careful, it, it, can, it can cause us to say things that we, we can't take back, things that we don't mean. Notice it doesn't say never to be angry. It just says in your anger, don't sin. Re remember, the word anger is one letter short of danger, and that should always speak to us, is that anytime you feel anger rising up within you, anger is good. It says something is wrong here, and it needs to change. It's just what you do with it, and it but it is one letter away from danger. 
Warren Wearsby says anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. In itself, anger is not a sin because even God can be angry. The Bible speaks of anger being kindled as though anger can be compared to a fire. The fire of anger, if not quenched by loving forgiveness, will spread and defile and destroy the work of God. According to Jesus, anger is the first step towards murder because anger gives the devil a foothold in our lives and Satan is a murderer. Satan hates God and God's people and when he finds a believer with the sparks of anger in his heart, he fans those sparks, adds fuels to the fuel to the fire and does a great deal of damage to God's kingdom. You say, well, Rhea, how is anger related to murder? If you flip over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, I want to read it to you from the, the message translation. It says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with his brother or sister is guilty of murder. Those of you who grew up in an angry household, you understand that anger can kill the spirit of a child. Some of you have an imprint in your life from words that were said and spoken over you in anger. And anger can, can kill, can murder that, that spirit of a child. And, and we need to be careful in our anger not to sin. Paul says we need to deal with anger quickly before the sun goes down. And that's really important because anger, if we allow it to fester, if we allow it to stew inside of us, it will eventually grow into bitterness and unforgiveness and malice. And we're going to look at those terms next week. But, but Paul is saying it's important that you, you deal with anger quickly and that you, you put off any desire to, to uh, sin in it. Verse 27, he says, put put off anger, uh, you know, let each of you be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. This is a scripture I quote to you all the time. One One of the translations I like best says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give the devil an opportunity. I want you to see here that the moment, if we're keeping this in context, That the moment we give place to anger in our life, the moment we give place to lying in our life, we give place to the devil. Do you see it? Some of your translations say, don't give the devil a foothold. I I like James 4, 7. It says, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I'm telling you, God has given us the Holy Spirit, and, and what he's calling us to put off and put on, he, he, he's empowered us, enabled us to do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. You hear me say this week after week, that the same grace that saved you is now empowering you to walk out in obedience what God calls us to do. Are we all understanding that? Do I have to keep repeating it every week? Do you understand that this is what I'm teaching is not a works mentality? It is the same grace that saved you is now working inside you to enable you to walk out in obedience what God has called you to do. Obedience, walking in obedience is part of the sanctification process. It's part of becoming holy because God is holy. And that should be our aim. Holiness should be our aim. And so uh, God, one of my favorite names of, of the Holy Spirit is that he's our helper. And he has put his helper inside of us to help us walk this out, to help us put off lying, to help us put off and not sin in our anger. He, he, he's given us his helper. And so he's saying, don't give place to the devil. Allow the helper to come. So, so when we submit to God, and Lord help me with this, well, when we submit to God and his word, and we do that through the Holy Spirit by being obedient, are you with me? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So even though God has given us his helper, the Holy Spirit living within us, we have a responsibility to resist. See, this is what we normally do. I feel like doing this, Masha, and so I'm going to. God, if you want me to stop, zap me. 
No. He wants you to submit to his Holy Spirit. He wants you to yield to his Holy Spirit. He waits for the yield, and then the power to do it comes. Submit to God. Resist the devil. See, we resist in the submitting. The submitting brings the resisting. Do you see it? Resist the devil. Nope. The tempter. So we're dealing with what is the, the tongue, the, temp, the, the, tum, the tongue, the, temp, the temper, and the tempter. Do you see it here? One of the commentators I read said that we're dealing with the tongue first, the, temp, the, the temper second, and the tempter third. And, and if we really learned that those are the three big battles we have in our life, we could really walk in some victory, couldn't we? Because I'm telling you, just about every battle you have is the mind, the tongue, the temper, and the tempter. And, and so he says... Um, don't give place to the devil. Now, you've heard me teach on this a zillion trillion times, so I don't feel like I have to belabor it tonight. But, but, but when we lie, when we get angry and sin, we have given a place, an opportunity for the devil to act in our life. And we need to remember that. When you choose to lie, you've opened the door up for the enemy to have an opportunity to work in your life. Do, do you see that? So why do we want to lie? I just want to know that. Tell me why, why if the Bible says that, that the devil is the father of lies, that lies are his native language, I, I just want to tell you I do not want to act like him. There's nothing in me that wants him to have any part in my life. Jesus says that the, the devil, the, the, um, Satan is coming and he has no place in me. Do you want to be like Jesus to be able to say, the devil has no place in me. He has no occasion to act in my life. He, I am not giving him any opportunity to act in my life. We have to decide that. We can't just want God to zap us. And so he said, don't give place to the devil. Th this week I was listening, I think it was to Chuck Swindoll, and, and he was talking about the scripture in Job. How many of you are familiar with the scripture that I always talk about in Job where, where, where um, Satan, Jesus is in heaven, and Satan's there in the throne room, which always has troubled me, is how did he get there? What's he doing in that throne room? I, I want to know. And so Jesus said to him, Satan, where have you been? And Rhea's loose translation is, I've been roaming the world looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. But Chuck Swindoll added something this week that I had never seen before. He said that that word, he said, have you considered my servant Job? God says this. Have you considered? I, I know you're looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Have you considered my servant Job? Because he is upright. He is amazing. I, do you not want him to testify that about you? Do you not want God to be up in heaven? Have you considered Rhea? I, I, I trust her so much. I, I believe that she will make the right choice. I believe that she'll do what's right. Have you considered her? Because I have, I have great faith in her. I have great confidence in her. Do you not want that kind of testimony coming from heaven about you? But he says, have you considered my servant Job? And that word consider is a, a military term. Chuck Swindoll says it actually is a reference to a general. Who, and, and I want to quote it. I wrote it down, so I don't want to get it wrong. A general who is planning to attack a city. And he studies, and he scrutinizes the defenses. He's looking for weaknesses and vulnerabilities. He's preparing his assault. He's planning in a way to attack and destroy the weaknesses. And it's so interesting to me because I have a really good friend, Terry Mitchell. She used to, to, to coach the Marquette basketball, women's basketball team. And, and Terry would come to Bible study, and she'd talk about how she had to review game tapes all week. And and I'd be like, why do you do that? Why do you spend so much time watching game tapes? And she said, oh, Rhea, we look for the best player. We look for their strategies, for their defenses, and we find their weaknesses. And that's what we capitalize on when we go to play them. We, we go in there knowing where their weaknesses are because we've watched game tapes. Can I tell you that you have an enemy? 
who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he is watching your game tapes. He has spent his life watching your life, looking for vulnerabilities, looking for weaknesses that he can capitalize on because his goal is to destroy your city. If he can't keep you, if he can't keep you out of heaven, he is going to make you live like hell here on earth. And he does that by capitalizing on your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses. My vulnerabilities are different than Leslie's. There are times that I'll be crying about something, and she'll be like, Rhea, come on, straighten up. That is no big deal. Can I just tell you, you know better than that. And I'd be like, oh, Leslie, it's terrible. But there are things that she does, and I'd be like, really? That's defeating you right now? That's making you go to bed? Let me just speak some stuff to you, because you're believing a lie. And it's because he's watched our game tapes, and my weaknesses are not hers. And her weaknesses are are not mine. But at church, if we can get this, this is why I'm preaching this series. Because if we can really get that he is looking for weaknesses, he is looking for vulnerabilities, he knows exactly where to get Sarah. He knows exactly where to strike her. And and we have got to get wise and say, "Mm -mm, that used to work, but that is not going to work anymore. This That used to bring me down, but that is, because see, I understand who I'm fighting here. And you are not going to win. I like to win. I, I love to win. Like, I can't even tell you how much I love Karen. We are dangerous with board games because Karen likes to win and I like to win. One of us usually walks away mad because we, <laughs> we both like to win and we are brutal. But put us on the same team, you don't stand a chance because we are awesome together. You have an enemy who likes to win. And you got to get smarter because he's already defeated. He can't win unless you allow him. And you see, then we team up together because against each other, we're we're dangerous. But together, watch out. We're undefeatable. And and so when I see Leslie down, I'm going to be like, let's just talk about this. It used to be that she'd just go to bed and a couple weeks later, I'd say, where you been? But now a day of silence goes by and I'm on the phone saying, are you in bed? Because we need to talk about what's bothering you. Right? Because apart, we're dangerous. But fighting the battle together, we're fierce. She'll say to me, Rhea, come on. You've got to refuse that thought. You've got to renew your mind. Don't take that bait, Rhea. See, apart, in the bed alone, I'm defeated. Together, fighting the battle. Swords drawn, shields up. We are undefeatable. And that's why we need each other. You say, Maria, I don't like the way you teach. You're way too frank and and you, you, you say hard things. That's because I'm fighting with you. I'm on your team. And together we are undefeatable. And I am bound and determined we are going to get this. And we're going to be strong Christians. We are not here to be entertained. I am, I am absolutely convinced that Monday nights is a, is a, is, is a, um, a force to be reckoned with. That I am building an army here on Monday night. I am not building little b- believers who need to have their ears tickled and who need to feel good about themselves. I am saying the hard things, sharpening swords, so that we can go out and take a world for Christ. Because that's what we're called for. That is what we're called to do. But we got to start looking at some of this hard stuff before we can do it. Because if he can defeat us, we're not a threat to him at all. We've got to choose not to give place to the devil, not to give him an occasion to act. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor, performing with his hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. I so, I so hope I can get this, Lord. If you could just anoint me here to do this. I, I, this has bothered me so much. When I've studied this passage, normally when I teach it, I just skip right over this verse because it doesn't make any sense to me. He's talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And then he goes and talks about lying. And, and, and 
the mouth. And, and then he, go, he talks about uh, in your anger, don't sin. He's talking about your temper. And, 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 and then the next verse he talks about, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I look at this, and I'm a context teacher, so I'm looking at all of this, and I'm saying context, that doesn't even make any sense to put stealing in there. Uh, do you see why? Mouth lying, mouth anger, mouth unwholesome speech. Do, do you see it? So why stick stealing in the middle of those verses? That bothers me. And, and I could never understand if stealing what, what was what I thought stealing was. That did not make any sense to me. And so I began to really ask the Lord about this. And, and, and there are, he, he began to tell me there are many ways that we can steal. Lots of different ways. We steal from God when we fail to worship him and spend time with him. We steal from God when we put our will before his and fulfill our fleshly desires before we fulfill his desires. We steal from him when we fail to honor him with our lives. We steal from others when we fail to manifest the presence of God to them and speak words of life into them. So sandwiched between lying and, and anger, I'm going to steal from Dave when I rip him to shreds with my anger. Do you see? I steal his dignity. I steal his, his well-being. I, I steal his peace, his joy. Are, are you with me? When I lie to somebody, I, I deceive them and I steal from them the, the, the right to be, to, to, to be treated like Christ would treat them, if you will. And uh, we steal from God and others when we don't give our best and we shortcut the work of his spirit within us. We steal when we sell an inferior product pretending it's better than it is. I steal when I represent, when I falsely represent myself to Masha and I don't let her have access to who I truly am. I really rip her off from knowing the full manifestation of God in me. Do you see that? We steal and cheat people uh, by wasting our time and our talents that God has entrusted to us. And so then it started to make sense to me because then I'm starting to understand why steel came after lying and, and, and anger. Because I, I realized that, that I'm, I'm, well, let me read what Stephen Cole said. He said, to some extent, you're stealing from other people what could have been replenished in their life. You steal from them what is rightfully theirs. You see, I, 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 I've always said my, with my children, if you ask me the one thing raising seven children that was a turnaround time in, in my life and in theirs is when I stopped parenting, pointing out every flaw, lecturing, uh, going through their things to make sure they weren't doing anything naughty, and I started instead calling the treasure out of them. So instead of saying, you know, why do you have to hang out with those boys? I don't like them. Why did you talk to me like that? I don't like that tone of voice. You will not talk to me with that tone of voice in this house. Have I made myself clear? That, that was said often. <laughs> but when I stopped doing that, and instead I said, I, I remember the day our son David, he's one of our twins, I, I, I remember where he was standing in the kitchen. I remember what he was doing, the, the moment I, that it clicked in my head, that instead of lecturing him, instead of, of, of just pointing out every bad thing he had done, instead of, of giving him the lecture that he expected every day, I, instead, I remember he was leaning into the kitchen and the Lord said, call the treasure out in him. And I said, David, can, can I just tell you, you are so much like your daddy. I said, you have your daddy's tender heart, David. I bet you're going to be a shepherd someday because you're a shepherd just like your daddy. You care so much about people. You, you are so tender hearted, David. And I remember him turning and looking at me. And, and the look on his face was, you really believe that about me? And, and it was this, it was, it was mesmerizing to look at him. It was like he he, he knew that innately about himself, but to hear me confirm it in him and to call it out of him was powerful. We steal from people when we speak something different over them. 
We steal from someone well, when we treat them like they're annoying instead of the treasure that God says they are. We steal from someone when we don't have time for the likes of them, but we have time for this person over here. You see, we steal. Let them steal no longer, but let them labor so that they have something good to share with those in need. Let them labor so they have something good to share with those in need. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 50. I've just been working this through in my mind, so forgive me if it's not clear to you. But, but turn over to, to Isaiah 50. I want to read verses 4 through 8. This is the scripture that revolutionized my life. I had, was raising seven children. I was working two jobs. I was chronically fatigued. Uh, I would get our kids in bed at night, and I would just start at that point then cleaning and getting cooking for the next day, and, and I was chronically fatigued. Uh, there was a point where uh, you could have brought a freight, a freight train through our bedroom at night, and I would not have heard it. The, the alarm would go off, Dave would shake me, and nothing would wake me up. And, uh, but I wanted to study the Word of God. Uh, but I was so tired, and I could not squeeze another hour in anywhere in my day. And, and, and so one day the Lord took me to this verse, and it says, The servant of God says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the disciple and of one who is taught, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning, and he wakens my ear to hear as a disciple, as one who is taught. The Lord has opened my ear, and I have not been rebellious or turned backwards. I got a hold of that scripture, and I said, Lord, Isaiah said, you waken him morning by morning, and you waken him and give him an ear as a disciple. You teach him, Lord God. And if you did that for Isaiah, you can do that for me. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to waken me day by day, morning by morning. Would you waken me and would you teach me as a disciple so that I have a word to sustain the weary? Because I want a word in due season. I want a word that I can hand out. You see, I want to labor, Lord. I will labor in your your word. And I won't steal from people anymore with unkind words. I won't steal from people anymore by holding myself back. I won't steal from people anymore by projecting somebody I'm not. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want to be filled up with your presence. And so I need you to awaken me, Lord, morning by morning. And I need you to teach me as one who is, who's a disciple so that I have a word then to, to present to somebody who's in need. That's what the scripture says. Don't steal any longer, but labor so that you have something good to give to those who are in need. Are you with me? Ask Dave. Ask Leslie. Leslie travels with me. Dave is my man. And, and, and he sleeps with me. Do I ever set an alarm? Do I ever need an alarm? Never. Leslie. There are times on the road she'll say, I'm going to set one just in case. And, and, but we, I never ever need it because he wakens me morning by morning as one who has learned. It might be, uh, I remember waking up and, and saying, come in, because I thought one of the kids were knocking on the bedroom door because I heard a knock. And then I realized it's 3.30. Everybody's sound asleep. That was the Lord wakening me. Am I exaggerating? Not even a little bit. And, and every single morning, I'll, I'll go to bed at night and I'll say, Davey, I'm so tired. I'm going to sleep in in the morning. And he'll chuckle because he knows I won't. And, but, but, and I'm not boasting in this. I'm not bragging in this because what he does for me, he will do for you. But you see, what I realized is I have to labor. I have to labor. I don't want to steal from people anymore. I don't want to steal from God anymore. I don't want to cheat God out of everything he's done for me. So I will labor. I will labor over this word because I understand that it is the only thing that sustains the weary. It is the only thing that brings life. And so I'm going to labor in that word and I'm not going to steal from anybody and I'm not going to steal from this world. I am going to make sure that I have something to give to those who are in need. Yes. And that's how I live my life. And we have to decide that we are willing to labor. And so I was like, Lord, finally, after all these years of teaching this passage, I feel like I finally, I finally got the steel thing. And then he took me to the scripture, 2 Thessalonians. Don, I think we have it. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Listen to this. This is so good. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof, stay away from, 
every brother who leads an unruly life. So I had my idea of what that meant, an unruly life. Don't hang with people who are wild, Rhea, like she used to be. Don't, don't hang with her. But that word unruly means undisciplined. The word was used in Greek society of those who did not show up for work. Undisciplined here means he that is not willing to submit to the standard of God's word. Okay, I'm going to read it to you again. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof. Stay away from every brother who leads an unruly life. Every brother who's not willing to submit to the standard of God's word. It means disorderly and out of rank. The idea is being unruly or undisciplined in the Christian life, and it means that you don't give the time of day to the word of God. That you're not willing to line your life up with what God's word has to say. Oh my goodness, does that bother anybody but me? This is God's word. These are not Rhea's words. I'm just telling you what it means in the original language. And so when God, uh, when Paul gives an antidote, he says, let him who steals no, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, let him discipline himself with the word of God. And then verse 29, and this is where we're going to end tonight. I just want to show you one more thing, and then we'll pick up there next week. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. John Phillips rightly notes that complete deliverance from the old nature is expressed in a converted disposition, including a transformed tongue, which James says no man can tame. So he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That word, do not, the word not is an absolute negation. It means you don't have the exception for an unwholesome word to come out of your mouth. You, you don't have the reason or the cause to say, I'm justified in this. He's saying, don't you allow it to come out of your mouth. And in the Greek order, and I think we have a, a, a slide, Don, the Greek order here is every word corrupt out of your mouth let it not proceed. That word corrupt or unwholesome, it describes fish that had set out on the dock too long in the sun. It's a picture of rottenness. It's a picture of foul, that, that's what, which is foul or corrupt or disgusting, that which is perishing or, or putrid or worthless. It's a picture of foul words, unkind words, careless words, rude words, gossip, malice, slander, criticism, words that have no business in the mouth of a child of God. He's saying, don't let them come out of your mouth. He said, only what is helpful for building others up. Uh, Precept Dawson says, Paul presents a picture of the repugnant, non-edifying nature of our old self the old garment of rotten speech, which like rotten fruit or fish, now that it's a smelly and you really want to avoid, will not nourish anyone. Instead, the rotten fare contaminates, sickens, smells, foul, and creates an unpleasant atmosphere for all who comes near. Remember when I told you that our, our little toddler friend was oblivious to how stinky she was? And she was really quite content to stay in that diaper. And I said, the people around you, can identify your, your stinky diaper. And Karen had no trouble identifying this. She knew exactly what it was. When the stuff coming out of our mouth is foul, when it's nasty and unkind, when it tears people down instead of building them up, dear one, let me say it as gently as I can. The people around you have no trouble identifying it. You might be oblivious to it because you've walked around in it for so long, you don't even smell it anymore. But everybody around you can say, man, she's bitter. She's angry. He's corrupt. why it's so important that we do an inventory 
that we're constantly looking at our lives, not in a way that leaves you feeling condemned or ashamed. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Monday nights is about not leaving you condemned. It's about leaving you empowered and equipped to say no to ungodliness. Everything you and I need for life and for godliness is in us. We've been given it. So I can put off these smelly, stinky diapers and put on a new man because the power of God lives within me. It says only, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. I'm telling you, I, I got this for my man. It is, it is, I have the, the, the Bible says that a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her very own hands, and I think with her very own mouth. And, and this word, only what is helpful for building others up, that word, it, it, building others up, it's for edification. It's, it's spiritual building blocks. So if you can picture cinder blocks being built on top of each other and how it, it, it really it reinforces a foundation, it makes it strong. Are you with me? That, that's what I picture my words doing to Dave. I have a choice. A wise woman builds her house. I have a choice with my children. I have a choice with my husband. A wise woman will build them and, and not tear them down. And my words can build this man. My words can strengthen him. You say, well, I'll strengthen him when he starts strengthening me. Come on, get over yourself. Do you not understand that what you put into a relationship is what you get out? Well, it, Leslie is my best friend. I am intentional about my relationship with her. I'm intentional about it. It's not just, hey, how you doing, sister? I uh, hope you're doing well. We have deep relationship, and my words can destroy her. I, I've got a mouth, and my words can tear her down, or they can build her up. But the stronger she is, the stronger our relationship is. The stronger this man is, the stronger our marriage is. And you get out of a relationship what you put into it. And I am so tired of hearing people say, nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me. Then be a builder. Build. Build. Sarah, I, I was at church on Sunday and I was taking out garbage. And, and, and I, I, I just, I was tired. And Sarah came up beside me and she took the garbage out of my hand. And she said, Rhea, I'll do that for you. I'll take that garbage out for you. Bless my heart. Didn't, she, she had no trouble. She just wanted to help. She wanted to take a burden off. That's what we're called to do. That's investing in relationship. Do, do you see it? Not me, 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 me. What are you going to do for me? What are you doing for me? What, what, uh, what are you going to do for me? How about you get that from God? And then you look for ways you can build and encourage Oh, there's so much I just want to talk to you about. Can I just show you one more thing before we go? I promise I'll talk really fast. This was the headbanger. I called Leah at work today and got her out of work just to tell her this. It was a headbanger for me. I went up to Dave and I told him and I, he was busy working. I said, forget it, I'll call Leah. She'll really appreciate this. <laughs> so... I, I'm looking at this word labor, and I, I wrote in the word, in my notes, we must labor in the word of God to have a word in due season. Are you with me? And stop stealing, instead labor. And so then I, I start to say no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And so I wrote out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, words are important. Jesus takes words seriously, I wrote. So I was going to say to you, it's important that we watch what's coming out of our mouth because Jesus takes words seriously. He is the word, I wrote. That's why he takes words seriously because he is the word. And so the words we speak have the power of life and death. Words are powerful. And, and so I, I, I was like, oh, he really does take words seriously. Is there a place that he talks about words? And so I flipped over to Matthew 12, and I put this in my notes. Matthew 12, 36, Don. It says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Stay with me here because this is powerful. I'm telling you, if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. That we, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you that in the day of judgment, that every man will give account for every careless word he speaks. The word careless is idle. 
I always thought it meant without profit. I, I was like, the Lord said, look it up. And I'm like, I know what it means, Lord. It means barren. It means without profit. And he said, look it up, Rhea. So I look it up, and this is what I read. Free from labor. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Lazy, shunning the labor which one ought to perform. Okay, you guys didn't get this. Leah and I were having church. I'm telling you, this was powerful. So do not steal. Instead, labor so that you have something good to give those who are in need. And then don't let an unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Jesus takes words seriously. In fact, he said, he said this, that, that in the day of judgment, we're going to have to give account for every idle word we speak. Idle means <laughs> words which shun the labor, shunning the labor which one ought to perform. I am called to labor in the word of God. Oh, you're not getting it. I must not be explaining this well. I'm called to labor in the word of God so that I have a word in due season to sustain those who are weary. And I need to understand that in the day of judgment, I'm going to give account for every idle word that I speak, every word that I didn't labor in God's word that, that I shunned. I said, I'm going to shun the labor. I don't want to have to study God's word. I don't want to have to get in God's word today. I, I don't want to have to labor in God's word today. Okay, you're going to give account for every other word you speak. That's in red. It's Jesus. It's in, it, it's in red. That word idle means bearing, barren, st sterile. Sterile is unable to produce life. Do your words produce life in other people? Or do they drain life from other people? The same mouth can speak blessing and curses. It can do bitter water and sweet. It can speak life and death, and that should not be. I, I love this quote. I found this because, you know, I, I have a lot of charismatic people in my life, and... Um, J. Sidlow Baxter wrote, one of the first things that happens when a man is really filled with the Spirit is not that he speaks with tongues, but that he learns to hold the one tongue he already has. I love that. I love it. So this is where we're going to pick up next week with unwholesome words, and, and we're going to finish the rest of the chapter, which is powerful. It's good, good stuff. It's more soiled diapers that we're going to look at, but um, I, I just want to come back to our diapers in closing, and I, I just want to tell you that if you were a parent, our friends that were there for dinner on Wednesday night, they didn't let their little girl run around in a soiled diaper. They didn't say, we'll change her when we get home. They changed her. Uh, they didn't scold her for messing in her diaper. They, they didn't get disappointed with her because she did. They just said, hey, let's change the diaper. And some of you are sitting here tonight, and just in the short time we've looked at this passage, because there's a whole lot more coming, you've been able to say, you know what, I, I, I can identify with that smell. I might have some of it in my life. No big deal. Let God change your diaper. Let him change it. And put that new man back on you. It just got soiled. And, and, and commit tonight, decide tonight that you're going to change that thing, that you're going to really work on lying. And remember, you can't white-knuckle this and fix yourself. It's a work of the Spirit within you. It's you yielding, saying, God, I heard that word tonight, and I want to cooperate with you in the work of the Spirit. And I understand I can't do this myself, but I'm saying yes to it. I want you to clean me up. I, I, I want you to make me more aware of, of when, I'm, when I'm tempted to sin in my anger. I want you to make me more aware when I lie or, or when it's delivered or when it's just a deception. I, I want you to show me, Lord. And I promise you, he will change that diaper. And it's not to leave you condemned. That sweet little toddler did not feel condemned by her mom and dad when she left our house on Wednesday night. That's what dads do. That's what moms do. And this is what your heavenly father does. He cleans us up. 
and he makes us look more like him. One last thing I want to challenge you with before you leave is I, I want you to remember and keep this picture in your mind that Karen had no trouble identifying the smell. She laid her eyes on that candy bar with the peanuts and the caramel, and she said, that's a Snickers. I know that. The people around you have no trouble identifying. And now you don't have to put on a false self when you're in church because you know people don't have a hard time identifying it. That's lying to one another again. The answer is to let God clean you up. Let Daddy put a new diaper. Put that new man back on. Create it to be like Christ in holiness and righteousness. So, Father, I just thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you for how they faithfully sit under a hard word week after week after week, being trained by it. Lord, I pray that it would not just be a word that goes in one ear and out the other, that you would keep it in front of us all week long, that you would remind us of it through the power of your spirit, that you would make our hearts tender to the prick of your spirit, and that you truly, Lord, would change us and transform us and make us more like you, Lord, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.